Hello, you're listening to Wait, How Do You Spell That? A Rare Disease Podcast. My name is Colby, and I'm the editor here at PatientWorthy. And today we're going to be discussing Alzheimer's disease, which is a progressive form of dementia that broadly affects thought processes, memory and language, accompanied by physical changes in the brain. November is also Alzheimer's Disease Awareness Month, which is why I'm happy to welcome two very special guests on the show today to talk about their experiences. Kathy Herzog is a former American Sign Language interpreter who was diagnosed with moderate Alzheimer's disease earlier this year. And Dave Herzog, Kathy's husband, is a toolmaker by trade and is joining her on this journey of support and self-advocacy together. Kathy, Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello. Hi, thank you for making the time to join us today. And to start with, Kathy, can you tell us about your journey to receiving an Alzheimer's diagnosis? I know you started noticing symptoms many years before actually receiving anything official. Yes, about 10 years ago, I started having some memory issues and suddenly couldn't tell time. And the job I, I had at the time, time was very, very a big issue in the schedule of what I had to do during the day. I saw a doctor who ordered an MRI, sent me to a neuropsychologist who did hours and hours of testing. After everything came back, the MRI looked okay. The neuropsychologist said that I had mild cognitive impairment and small vessel ischemic brain disease, but not to worry about it. He told me that the executive functions and my brain were affected, and that's why I was having the issues that I was having. So we kind of moved on. My symptoms got worse over the years. We chalked it up to a move. We chalked it up to stress. We chalked it up the time of year. We gave it every excuse under the sun until this past spring. I saw another neurologist who ordered a spinal tap. And when we went back to see him three months later, he had also done a bunch of other testing, but the spinal tap was the one that came back with moderate Alzheimer's disease. And I tested, it showed the tangles and the plaque growing. So that's, we left that doctor, but we are heading into a new adventure here with a new doctor. So that's how that all came about. See, and in our discussions before the show, you mentioned that in retrospect, you believe that you might have had early onset Alzheimer's. When you think back on the past 10 years of your life and what a diagnosis may have meant a decade ago, what goes through your mind? Frustration, anger if I let it. If you're diagnosed in the earlier stages, there are trials out there that are available and there are also medications to help slow the process. There is no cure. It's just to slow down the process six to 18 months. And the medications will also help with the memory issues. So I feel like as we move forward now at moderate, we had looked into trials, but we don't feel like we have the time for those. There is a medication I'm on right now that hopefully will help, but there's really nothing designed specifically for moderate diagnosis. So frustration would be my answer. Right. And that's understandable. And I know that frustration didn't necessarily abate after getting a diagnosis. Your doctor said that they actually might be able to get you involved in a clinical trial. Can you tell us what happened there? The doctor we had with the diagnosis, we had some problems with him. He was very short in his diagnosis. He, within minutes, went directly to discuss and wanted to discuss trials. 
and he seemed excited. So it got us excited that there might be some hope available. He brought in a researcher within five minutes of that discussion. And the researcher explained the, the trials that I might be available for and printed everything out, told us to take it home and read it. There were three trials that they gave us. Only two I really was going to qualify for. 44 pages each, so it was not light reading. Dave had called with some questions a few days later, maybe a week later, and he stated he talked with the research specialist, and he told Dave that I would did not qualify for the trials. So that was a real whirlwind, and we lost all faith and trust in this doctor, so we felt like we needed to change. So that was my experience with trials. <laughs> So going from barely having a handle on getting this new diagnosis to maybe feeling like you had some hope to not even qualifying in like a week. Yeah, I, I can see why that would be incredibly frustrating. And Dave, you've been with your wife through every step of this process. You know, the initial help that she sought 10 years ago, this new diagnosis, all of the frustrations that have kind of come along with this. What has it been like watching her seek help for this while at the same time bumping up against mistakes and misdiagnoses from medical professionals? Well, I, I think if we go back to the very original diagnosis and, and the time that played out between there, we made decisions in our life based on nothing being tangibly wrong with Kathy. And we felt like we needed to make those decisions. And looking back on it, if I'd have known a little bit about Alzheimer's, and then played into that fact that Kathy had Alzheimer's, there's a good possibility that some of the decisions we made, we might've gone a different direction with. That's in the past now. It's just an unfortunate part of the delay and finding out what was going on. In regards to when the trials were presented, they were presented, this is trial A and this is trial B, and this is how A works, and this is how B works. And in reality, when we started reading the paperwork for these trials, it was A really worked, or B really worked like A was described, and B really worked the other way. It was crossed up. So mm -hmm. that's what prompted me to make a phone call, and then to find out that she had been excluded from the possibility of these trials based on medical documentation they already had, it all could have been prevented that first day if somebody would have just looked at their her chart while they were presenting it to us. So right. those are the unfortunate parts to me that I saw happen. It's all emotional, you know? I mean, when you're diagnosed with anything that's out of your control, it's very emotional. So I hated seeing my wife suffering with the emotions of it, but I don't really know that there was a way around that. Yeah. And you both have had some medical challenges in your life previously. For instance, your daughter was born deaf, which meant that you probably had to watch out for and advocate for her in a way that other parents probably didn't with their children. Can you tell us about your experiences there and how you feel like this may have prepared you for this part of your life? When our daughter was first diagnosed deaf, it was really, really tough. It was unbelievably hard. 
trying to imagine a world. We didn't know anybody that was deaf. We had never had an exposure to it. So out of panic, I think, I called every organization throughout the entire country, clinics in California, other clinics in New York and other places across the country. And then I kind of narrowed my searches to right here where we live. And I think the best thing we found was a support group of parents just like us who had a child that was deaf, no family history of deafness, no idea why. And we became close with those parents. And it was a way for us to meet other deaf children. It was a way for our daughter to meet other deaf children. And it was just fantastic support for the both of us that you're all going to survive that. Yeah, I think that's a key part of it is you're going to survive what you're facing because you found other people that are dealing with the same thing. Mm -hmm. And that's another issue that we talked about before recording today, the matter of Alzheimer's support groups. I know you both have investigated, you know, separately together support groups available where you live in the Midwestern United States and have run into some difficulty in finding one. Can you tell us about that? Initially, Dave found a support group locally that he was going to, and it was just for caregivers. You want to talk about that? Yeah, it was through the Alzheimer's Association. And basically what they have available is support groups for caregivers. So not to say that caregivers don't need support, because it's another thing to have people to talk to that are dealing with or have dealt with the same things you're going through. But there's nothing, Kathy still would like to have conversation with people that are dealing with what she's dealing with. Mm -hmm. And so there are some groups available that we have found, but nothing locally. And it always involves a caregiver and a patient. So, and that's kind of the way this disease is going to work anyway, is a caregiver is going to be present or for the best results, that's the way it's going to be. So it it's just hard when you're going through, there's another one outside Alzheimer's we found in Memory Cafe. Mm-hmm. That's a worldwide situation. There really is very little accessible for it being a worldwide type of advocacy. Mm-hmm. Locally, there's just the closest thing to us was an hour away. And and most of those have been discontinued during COVID. So there's not been a lot of new ones started up. And so we're looking for that or possibly, and we've let Alzheimer's Association know we're interested in hosting that type of uh, support group. if, If they could help us to learn how to do that, go about doing that. So we're open to that. We're hoping we can find something or other people who are going through what we're going through in a similar stage so we can have that conversation. And conversation relieves a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. So, And there's nothing like meeting people face to face. You know, Zoom absolutely. calls are one thing. Right. But being able to be around people who are going through the same thing that you are, there's just nothing like it. And As you mentioned, you both have had previous experience with support groups with your daughter. And then you also told me that after you lost your son and his fiance in a tragic accident, that you felt like participating in support groups, Kathy, I think you said you felt like it helped to save your life. 
Can you tell me about that experience and and kind of as a follow-up, what sorts of things would you like to see in a potential Alzheimer's support group that you have a hand in helping to build? I think with our son, we became a part of Compassionate Friends and we were in that group for several, several years. And it's just meeting other people and you don't have to explain what you're feeling. You don't have to explain what you're thinking. You don't have to explain why you're not sleeping. There's great support in that organization. And I would highly recommend it to anybody that ever has to go through losing a son or a daughter. And as far as Alzheimer's support group, it's the same thing. I would love to be able to meet with other people going through this. You know, this is a disease that it doesn't end well. There are no cures. There are medications to slow it down, as I've said before. There's things on the horizon, but will it be in time for people like me? Probably not, but it might be in time for someone that is early onset. I also think that support groups for Alzheimer's, if at all possible, need to be staged. So when Dave was meeting with his group of support caregivers, he was given a lot of information he wasn't ready for. And he didn't need to hear yet. So I think it needs to be geared toward what you're facing at the time. And I know that sounds like a lot, but if I could have my way, that's the way it would be set up. Mm -hmm. I know that, that they don't want to expose people with Alzheimer's to people that are severe because that's our future. That's where it's headed. But I would love to be able to talk with people who are dealing with it currently now and get it out in the open. Right. It's information that you don't need right now. And it's maybe a reminder that you don't need right now as well. That's not really helpful at this moment, right? Dave, what about you? Is there anything that you would like to see in a potential Alzheimer's support group, maybe something a little more aimed at caregivers? Yeah, in the support groups that I've taken part in in the past, the opportunity to discuss what's going on in your life and listen to people that have the same things going on in theirs has always left me leaving those meetings, if only for an evening, with a piece or a little bit of time knowing that it's not just me or it's not just Kathy. There's people all over the world going through the same thing that I'm going through. You look at the numbers and they don't sound all overwhelming per se, but they are. I mean, if you're the one of 10 people that are affected by this over a certain age, that's a huge number. And so people having that opportunity to have a discussion and like what we're doing here today, be open about how we feel about it, sometimes gives you that day of rest or, you know, next day of rest where you can move on and know that this is part of your life, but there's other people that are dealing with the same thing you are instead of you feeling like it's all on you. I'm trying not to ramble too much here. Oh, no, no, you're fine. That's the reality of it. When you talk about losing a child to be able to speak about that child openly and everybody not questioning that how you feel about it. It's the same thing here being able to talk about it openly and people understand what you're talking about and where you're coming from. It's a very helpful thing. Right. People who are on the same level who you don't feel like you have to explain yourself to, you know, so you can have a productive and helpful conversation. Yeah. I completely understand. 
Kathy, if there's someone out there listening in our audience today who has just received an early onset or a, a moderate Alzheimer's diagnosis, what advice do you have for them? Take a real big, deep breath. <laughs> and hopefully they have someone like I do has, who says we're going to live every day. That has become Dave's motto. We're going to live every day. My other advice, and this is also for people who suspect that they have it or they have a loved one, they have it. If you go to a doctor that doesn't listen to you, find another doctor. If that doctor doesn't listen to you, find another one. Research came out last week that states that possibly 92% of Alzheimer's patients are misdiagnosed in the beginning. It's because of age. It's because you have stress. It's because you just got married. It's because you just had a baby. All of these different reasons. All those things you chalked your issues up to at first. Yes. Yes. And you know, when I first went to the doctor, I was 56 years old. But as we do research, that's not uncommon for someone to develop Alzheimer's at 56. That would be my advice. Don't give up. Find someone until you, someone will listen to you. Don't let them blow you off. Don't let them tell you to come back in a year. A lot of people see Alzheimer's as an old people disease. Mm -hmm. And in this day and age, 50 is not old. And it's out there. It's real. It happens earlier than that. And we're not medical people, professionals, or most of the stuff I read, I only understand half. But mm. I do know that it's pretty simple when they lay out that it's not unusual for this to be found, you know, in your 50s, but not diagnosed until you're in your mid to late 60s. So... That's where Kathy's talking about this. If it continues and you can't get the attention you think you need, not to be afraid to search out another doctor. Because there is testing available. A lot of people don't want to go through having a spinal tap done to be tested for this. Mm -hmm. Some doctors can't get that approved for through insurance and stuff. But it's pretty definitive test when they do it through a spinal tap. and. Maybe some people just don't want to know that answer to that test result. Sure. It affects decisions you make in your life once you understand Alzheimer's and what all things it entails. It's not just memory loss. There's so many other things. It's important to have that knowledge. I agree. And and Dave, I feel like you've you've already given such good advice in this podcast. And especially I, I like your motto, live every day, I think is a great one. But if someone listening today, let's say has a loved one who was just diagnosed with Alzheimer's, you know, let's hear for you. What advice do you have for that person? Okay, so live every day. So I got to be honest with that. I stole that from we had to find a new doctor, not because of Alzheimer's. This is just our general practitioner. And I wanted to find someone that was young, that had new ideas, and and I did. And so him and I had had a discussion about the testing Kathy was having done in one of my general appointments. You know, he can't give me any medical information, or at that time he couldn't about Kathy. But we talked about where do I go if this diagnosis comes back the way it was looking like it was going to. And he's the one that told me to live every day. You got to keep living. If you, you can't give up because this has happened. So my thing is, this may not sound right. And I don't know. When I got married, I made a commitment. 
And in my lifetime, I've made some commitments and I followed through on my commitments. So I love Kathy and I'm going to follow through on my commitment to Kathy that I made when we got married. And that's the way I approach things. So there's nothing in this is going to draw me back Mm -hmm. and take me away from that and doing everything I can to make her life as good as it can be for the rest of our lives. So I don't know, every individual approaches things differently. If I take that moniker of live every day and then remember what commitments I made and how strong I feel about them, that's going to get me through. In sickness and in health, that's what you said, right? So that's what you're going to do. Yeah. I also think that it's important. We've always had these dreams of what retirement would look like. We're having to bump that up but we're working on our bucket list Mm -hmm. and there's so much time on your hands between doctor visits waiting on, I mean, we're waiting eight months to get into this new neurologist, but we've been told by several people it will be well worth the wait. So we're waiting, but we're also working on that bucket list that we were going to do. And that's the part of our keep living. Right. Yeah. That's something that we hear often from patients that we talk to is that, you know, life is sort of dealt you this hand and it doesn't mean that you have to give up on what your what you thought your life was going to be, but it means that you might have to adjust it. You might have to take a different route there. And just being able to be flexible with that mindset, you know, seems to be a very healthy way to be. I completely agree. And in the spirit of Alzheimer's Awareness Month, and we love connecting people here at Patient Worthy, if someone wants to get in touch with you, Kathy and Dave, maybe about this idea of a support group, what's the best way for them to do that? We went into this with a goal of trying to help other patients possibly avoid some of our mistakes or traumas that we've been through with this diagnosis. We would love to hear from anybody that has any questions, no matter where they live in the country. And we have provided our email addresses. Yeah. And you've told us you'll share those. I think email in today's society is the safest way for us to proceed. But we'd love to hear from people and we'll do our best to respond in the best way that we can based on our experience. That's kind of where we're at. And if something comes out of this and we're able to get the proper training from someone on how to put together a support group and we get some people somewhat local to us that that we could get together with once in a while, that would be awesome. Okay. Well, Kathy, Dave, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show today and share your story so openly and honestly. It's very much appreciated. Well, thank you for inviting us. You know, you always hope something good comes from this. So yeah, I think we can help get your story out there and I'm sure that it will resonate with some people. And regarding the email addresses and how you can get in touch with Kathy and Dave, you can reach them at either Kathleen Herzog, that's H-E-R-Z-O-G four at gmail.com or Dave Herzog four at gmail.com. And we'll leave links in the show notes to both of those email addresses so that they can get in touch with you if, if they decide to. And remember, you can always keep up with the latest in rare disease news by visiting our website at patientworthy.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for Patient Worthy on those platforms. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. It may seem like a small thing, but a review or rating really does go a long way toward helping us out. And finally, if you have any questions about the podcast or perhaps an idea for a future episode, you can get in touch with me by sending an email to Colby, that's C-O-L-B-Y, at patientworthy.com. That does it for today's episode. Thank you once again to Kathy and Dave Herzog for joining me on the show today. And as always, thank you for listening. Thank you.